You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And believe it or not, today is the last sermon we have We'll have covered every single word, every single verse in the book of 1 Peter. Then we are going to, for three weeks, we're going to do a series on marriage. We'll have a a one-off for Memorial Day. Then we're going to do three weeks on parenting. And uh, the great thing about that is, is you're going to get to hear from all three of our teaching pastors, myself, Ross Strader, and Eric Barton, we're going to each, uh, we're going to rotate around the campuses uh, for the next uh, six weeks. And so uh, I think that'll be a great series. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to be picking up at verse 8 today all the way through 14. And so last week, let me kind of bring us back to speed. Last week, Peter uh, gave some great advice that he was talking to a specific group of guys, elders, but he really wanted everybody else in the church to listen in to this conversation because it was beneficial for everyone. Targeted elders, beneficial for everyone else. And he challenged these elders to shepherd God's flock and to lead them. And then he said, those of you that are following, we should allow them, we should follow them, follow the elders as they lead us, as they care for us, they protect us, as they feed us. But it only happens if one word is there, and that was humility. And we talked about that humility is the grace that every church needs. Elders need it. The people following the sheep need that. And so today, he's going to finish out his letter. And these are his final remarks today, and they're so fitting for us today. You know, there's many battles. There are many battles in our world and in our lives. Some battles are small. Man, some can be quite large. Some are fought on a battlefield. Man, some are even fought in cyberspace. Some battles happen face-to-face, and others uh, happen all over the world. Some battles end and really no harm done, and there are other battles that take many, many lives. Some battles that are fought, and you know what? There's never a resolution happen. But others, it seems that the battle never ends. And people can't even remember what they were fighting about. Battles can go on and on. But there is something that is true about every battle that you and I will face. And you may be sitting there right now and you say, yes, I am in the midst of a battle right now. Well, here are two things. Two things that every every fight, every battle, two dangers there. One, it's underestimating your opponent. I don't know, I remember I grew up, I was kind of in a, a, a boxing kind of generation before MMA got here. I remember gathering in people's homes, and the worst thing you could do was underestimate the guy you were about to get into the ring with. In fact, I was thinking back this week, I remember like the real first grown-up movie my parents finally let me watch. It was the very first Rambo movie. I think they called it First Blood. And you've got John Rambo, and man, I thought, that's who I want to be when I grow up. You know, he, he came back to the United States after being in the war, and uh, he, something happens, and the sheriff is out to get him, and uh, you know he's hiding in the woods, and I'll never forget that sheriff saying, 
you know, who does he really think he is? He's just one man with a bowie knife, and I've got an entire army. I mean, he, he took every one of them out, and he, they, he underestimated his opponent. But the second danger is that we can become paralyzed by fear. And you see this happen a lot of times, and I know there's not a teacher in the world that's probably not ready for school to be out. Because bullying is a major issue, and this is what bullies do. Bullies count on making people afraid of them, paralyzing them with fear to be able to get them to do whatever they want to do. It's called predators. They use fear. But people use fear to control other people. And so I guess I got to thinking about movies and different things. And then I, thinking about this, I, I thought about the episode of uh, the Andy Griffith show with his little son Opie. And he, he's got this bully in town. And, you know, and Barney gives him some, tries to train him, gives him some horrible advice. But in the end, he finally stands up to this little boy and he gets a big shiner, and it's like the best thing that's ever happened in his life because I think they became best friends after that. But bullies, they, they paralyze us by fear. And so today, Peter is going to end his letter talking about an enemy that we should never underestimate, and his goal is to paralyze us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to paralyze us with fear. So today, Peter will say this in a few different ways. Do not listen to the roar. But believe the gospel. Don't listen to the roar, but believe the gospel. Let's pick up in verse 8. Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he says, be sober-minded. In fact, this is the third time that Peter has used this phrase. To be sober-minded means to be clear of mind. It means to be self-controlled in your mind. It means to have, one guy said, to have spiritual sobriety. That a person, when they're not sober, you've seen them, they're unbalanced, they're out of control, they're easily swayed in one direction or another. And Peter says that to win the battle that you are facing, first you have to be clear, controlled, and sober-minded. And then he says, be watchful or be alert. And it's so interesting that Peter uses this phrase because it's the same command that Jesus gave him when he took him to the garden and Jesus was going to go pray. And he tells his disciples to be watchful, to stay alert. And remember, they kept falling asleep. So he tells us to be watchful, be alert, and to be sober-minded. But who is the enemy? He tells us, your adversary, the devil. Now, if you've been a Christian, I don't know, say more than 15 minutes, you've probably felt the attack of Satan in some form or fashion. He comes in so many different ways. The devil, he's referred to. So who is this devil? He's referred to in all kinds of ways. The devil was an archangel. Read about it in Revelation 12 that he rebelled against God, and so God cast him, and a third of the angels went with him. In the Bible, he's called Lucifer, Satan, the deceiver, the accuser. He's even seen as a serpent. But I want us to be aware of two things about this adversary, the devil. First, Satan is very powerful. He's crafty. He's deceptive. He can even be ruthless. But the devil 
He is not equal to God. And I think a lot of times we picture this, that the world is here and and good and evil and and God stands for the good and Satan stands for the evil and, and they're like equal partners in this and they're evenly skilled and they're evenly powerful. But God and Satan are not equal opposing forces. Satan is not all-knowing, even though he knows a lot. Satan is not all-powerful, even though he has great power. Satan, he does not stand equal with God. And we don't need to give him credit for that. We don't need to underestimate him, but we don't need to give him more credit than what he's doing. The second thing, when I think of him, I see kind of three major weapons throughout Scripture. One, he's called an accuser or a slander, meaning he can stand, he still has access to God, according to Revelation 10. Day and night, it says that he is going and he's accusing God's people before God. Now, why would Satan want to do that? He wants to make sure that God sees every lie you tell, every word of gossip you spread, every time you don't trust God and worry, every time you fail to control your anger, every time you have an impure thought, Satan wants to make sure God notices. He wants to make sure that God sees everything that you do. And he is trying to paint this picture. He's accusing us day and night. But another thing about him is he's a deceiver. In fact, he's a master at this. He wants to deceive people and to move them into a a certain area. In fact, I was reading an article this week in the National Geographic called The World's Newest Major religion. And then it said, colon, no religion. Went on to say that more people than ever before are identifying themselves as atheists, agnostics, or otherwise non-religious. But what's different now is these groups are coming together to potentially world-changing effect. These groups are coming together and they're identifying themselves now as what's called nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, nuns. There is no real religion. In fact, the author closed with some interesting words named Gabe Bullard. He says this, For all the work that secular groups do to promote acceptance of nuns or unbelievers, perhaps nothing will be as effective as the apathy of Christians plus power. In the secular millennial grow up and have children of their own, The only Sunday morning tradition they may pass down is one that everyone in the world can agree on and trust. What he's saying is that the devil wants to deceive as many people as possible to disbelieve in an almighty supreme being. And he wants to deceive people. But the third thing I see is that he's a doubt. He wants people to doubt. He'll do anything he can to get to those who know God, to get those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are believing in Him, He will do anything He can to get them to doubt. Satan wants you to doubt that you're supposed to be married to your spouse. He wants to plant those seeds in there. He wants you to doubt your parenting. He wants you to doubt the gifts that God has given you. He wants you to doubt God's love, His forgiveness, and His faithfulness. And I believe that His main arena for getting people to doubt is suffering. Because I believe we're most susceptible to suffering and, I mean, in doubting God 
when things don't go our way, when unexpected expenses show up, when we begin suffering physically or mentally, when we are suffering, I believe that's when we can easily begin doubting. So the devil is the reason we are to stay sober-minded, we're to stay watchful. But Peter doesn't leave it there. He wants to make sure that we underestimate this adversary. Notice how he describes him a little further. He says, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, it's interesting to me that he uses this imagery of a roaring lion that's prowling, meaning he is actively seeking an opportunity to attack. Now, why does Peter use this image of a roaring lion? Well, think about this. A roar is only meant to intimidate and to cause fear. And Satan wants his roar to scare us and to scatter God's flock in panic. Great pastor Chuck Swindoll says it this way, that the roaring of the devil is the crazed anger of a defeated enemy. And if we do not fear his ferocious bark, we will never be consumed by his bite. And so here's what Peter is saying. He's continuing to say, don't listen to the roar, but believe the gospel. Because the greatest battle in your life is not with your spouse. It's not with your children. It's not with your neighbor. The greatest battle in your life and in my life is to not listen to the roar of the devil, but to believe the gospel. To continue to believe in those promises of God. To continue to believe and receive God's grace. And Peter says, that's your battle. Our battle is to believe. It's to have faith. And notice how we're to do that. Look at verse 9. Resist him. And he, affirm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings have been experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So it says resist, meaning to withstand. And what are we to resist or withstand? We have to resist running and fleeing and being afraid of his roar. He says, stand firm. Now listen closely to this. We do not stand firm in ourselves or anything else. Years ago, I remember seeing a post on social media, and if you, I don't know, read retweeted it or reposted it or whatever liked it. I'm not getting on to you. But I want to make sure that, that we're careful with this because it said something like this, and I couldn't quite remember it, but it says, I want to be the type of person when I wake up, the devil says, oh, no, they're awake. Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but I remember seeing it out there. Be the type of person that when you wake up, the devil says, oh, no, they're awake. Listen, the devil will never be frightened of you or me. He has nothing to lose. He will never back down, and he will never run away from you or me. He's not afraid of you. If he, if he wasn't afraid of taking Jesus and tempting him, he's not going to be afraid of us. But he will flee from the one that we stand against. He'll never be afraid of you. You're never going to scare him off. But the one we stand in is. And I don't know why I, I guess my mind gets to working on a certain thing. It's like my favorite Disney movie 
their lines. And you got Simba, and him and Nala wanted to go exploring. He was going to take her out to the graveyard. And the, uh, the bird, uh, Zazu, was with them. And they get him distracted, and they end up in this boneyard. And the hyenas are coming up, and they finally corner him. And you remember this scene? They corner him in this, and he goes to try to roar. And they just make fun of him. But that last time, he musters up all he can to make a roar. And then there's this sound that comes behind them. And the fear that those hyenas experience is not because of Simba. But it's because of his father, Mufasa, behind him that they finally run away from. So he says, stand firm in your faith. It is not our roar that Satan flees from, but our father. That we are to stand firm in our faith. So what is this faith that he says you're to stand firm in? You're to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. You know, our battle is to believe, is to have faith, is to stand firm in our faith in spite of what we see, in spite of what is happening in our lives. We say God's word is true. In spite of what's going on in our lives, in spite of how incredibly sinful we are, how disobedient we are, God's promises are 100% reliable. And we have to fight to believe the gospel. We have to fight to believe that He loves us and He forgives us and that we are His children. We have to fight to believe this. And you will have to fight this battle each and every day of your life. Peter says, don't listen to the roar, but believe the gospel. Because Satan, what he's out to do, he wants to destroy your faith. And notice what he says the devil most effectively at. Look at the last part of the nine. Knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. If Satan can't convince God to disown you, he is tried, and he's tried, and he's tried. But there's not been one person in Christ that God has disowned. And if he can't get God to disown you, you know what he'll try to do? He'll try to get you to disown God. And his most effective weapon is suffering. You will most likely begin to doubt God's goodness and his love, his forgiveness, and his faithfulness when you are suffering. And it says we are to stand firm in the truth of the gospel. We're to stand firm in our place in the Christian community. Because he says there is strength in numbers. Satan's going to try to use suffering to get you to doubt God. And then you know what he'll do? He'll try to get you to disconnect from God's people. Satan loves to tell you that you're alone in your suffering. And that no one understands. But Peter wants readers. He wants all of us to know that we are not alone when suffering. In fact, a great army of saints that stretches throughout the history right up to the present day is joined in this relentless battle. In fact, our hope gains strength when we remember that believers stand shoulder to shoulder with each other across the globe in the same spiritual battle, enduring the same kind of sufferings and facing the same kinds of obstacles and experiencing the same kind of victory. So Peter says, don't listen to that roar. Don't let it scare you, but stand firm and believe the gospel. 
He'll once again draw our attention. Peter is so great at this. He's going to draw our attention up. Look at verse 10. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. So he says, after you have suffered for a little while, This means that any suffering we could possibly go through in this life will not last. It's only going to be temporary. But you know, it's like being a new parent, having that first child, and you think you'll never be able to sleep through the night again. In fact, it was so bad, we had a rule. Anything said between the hours, like two and five, couldn't be held against us the next day. Because you just think this this is never going to end. But Peter says, no, no. Your suffering is only for a little while. But the suffering is not forever, but there is something that is. He says, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So suffering is temporary, but the glory of Christ, he says, is eternal. And if God has called you to his glory, he is going to get you to his glory. Nothing will and nothing can stop him. And Peter says, believe that truth. Don't listen to the roar of your enemy. But God will get you there. He will present you blameless. He says, Satan can bring everything that you've ever done or ever thought before me. And when I look at you, I see my son. He says, I will present you blameless. He will get you to his glory. And notice what you can believe God will do. God himself, he's not going to outsource it. God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Restoring. It means to to mend. Maybe mending a net or mending a ship. Getting it ready to go back into battle. It means to attend to, to make it whole again. Confirm means he'll stand you up. And then strengthen and establish. Those are um, architectural terms that mean to build up. So Peter reminds us that suffering and pain, he says, are going to happen. The enemy will attack, and he says, there will be great pain. The battle's going to shake you, and it will leave some ugly scars. But what happens when the dust settles? Peter says, you will receive a warrior's medal. I mean, God's heavenly version of a purple heart, meaning he will perfect you, he will confirm you, and he will straighten, he will strengthen, and he will establish you. But the problem comes when we stop believing in the gospel and we start listening to the devil's roar. And it can go something like this. It's not finished. I don't care what Jesus said on the cross. It's not done. And you have to be obedient to earn God's love. Man, he's mad at you. God doesn't even love you. Look at what has happened. And you know what? All you do is let him down. When you call yourself a Christian, you should feel ashamed. You can't go to Jesus with all that you've done. He doesn't want you to turn to him. You're too messy. You're too sinful. You're too dirty. He doesn't even want you. You know what? You're all alone. Everything happening to you, it's your own fault. No one else is going through what you're going through right now. God must not love you because of all these things that are going through. 
that you're going through. Yeah, and all these trials and suffering that you're having to go through, when all those other people, all those other Christians, they have it so easy. Why is God making me suffer like this? And you see what we're to do? In those verses it says, when, when Satan roars with his suffering in your face, and he threatens to devour you, you say this, the God of all grace, the God of all grace, he has called me to his eternal glory in Jesus Christ. And after I have suffered for a little while from all your claws and all your fangs, you know what, Satan? He says, God will perfect me, he will confirm me, he will strengthen me, and he will establish me. He is the God of all graces, and you can maul me, and you can even kill me. But you cannot devour me because I belong to the real line of Jesus. He says, don't believe the lie, but believe in the gospel. That Satan knows your weaknesses. And he might even know your strength because he's had thousands of years to observe mankind and become an expert at human nature. In fact, he probably knows the the spiritual depth of your depravity far better than we do. But we must never forget that we are always his prey. He is always prowling around and he is hungry. So you don't underestimate him and don't become paralyzed by fear. So then he closes with this phrase. Look at verse 11. And to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dominion means reign or, or power. Meaning the dominion of God will never be extinguished. He'll never be snuffed out. And throughout the the centuries, Christians have understood their suffering in light of what it's actually going to accomplish. When you read through the scriptures, you can see them realizing that my suffering, as painful as it may be, is only temporary because it's producing something greater. And we should suffer in a way that the grace of God is seen in our lives. And so when those unexpected things happen, when you get that bad news, when things don't work out the way that maybe we hoped that they should, you still have to be able to say, God is good because people are watching. But in our suffering, we should display the grace of God to others. So I want to tell you about two bishops. One was named Hugh Leitmer, another one named Nicholas Ridley. And I remember reading about these guys years and years ago. He says they were believers who gave their lives for the gospel. In fact, I remember reading about them because they were part of the Reformation. He said these two men were becoming a part and they were leading the Reformation of calling the church back to the truth of God's word. And that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and nothing else. But on October 16, 1655, the Catholic Queen Mary had them both burned at the stake. People said they remembered as the flames began rising up around Leitner, he cried out to them, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. I mean, those were the final words of a suffering man who wanted nothing more than to die in adoration. 
It was enough for him to know that what happened to him that day would accomplish the purposes of God's inextinguishable and everlasting dominion. They understood what it meant to not be intimidated by the devil's war, but to believe the promise. And Peter doesn't stop there. He gives us three verses of a benediction. Look at the last three verses. This is by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Notice what he says again. Stand firm in it. She, the church who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. So he says the true grace, the the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's love, of his forgiveness, of his faithfulness. He says, stand firm in it. Don't run away. Do not flee, but stand firm in the truth of the gospel. Because Satan's roar is meant to intimidate you so that you run and hide in fear. He wants his fear to drive you to doubt God's goodness and his faithfulness. But you and I will not come out of this world without any wounds or any scars. That's not what we're promised. The devil can roar and he can attack you and he can even maul you. But he can never, God will not let him devour you. But we do not fight in our own strength. And we do not fight alone. So this morning, hear from the one who gave his life for Christ. Hear Peter say, don't listen to the roar, but believe the gospel. And so this morning, I want us to focus on that. Before we have a great time of of coming together around a meal together, we're going to go to a different type of meal. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to ask Corey Mason, one of our elders, to come and lead us. I'll ask the men to line up, and the band will come. So let me pray as they get ready to lead us in that time of worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this picture of true grace. God, give us grace to finish well and to not listen to the roar of the devil. Help us to not underestimate him, nor be paralyzed by fear. In our trials that we go through, Father, please grant us perseverance and to know that we do not suffer alone. And in our suffering, Lord, please give us joy in knowing that we share in Christ's sufferings. Help us to not listen to the roar of the devil, but to believe the gospel. And we ask all of these things in the name of your Son, the true line of Judah, and in your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.